When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Serial Serial, the AV Club's podcast about a podcast. Every week or so, a few Onion Inc. staffers will talk about the most recent happenings in Serial, one of the most popular and addictive podcasts on iTunes. I'm Laura Browning, Managing Editor of The AV Club, and with me today, uh, we have Alex McCown, staff writer and our in-house political expert. And we have Marnie Schur, the Deputy Managing Editor for The Onion. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Laura. Thank you very much. <laughs> so uh, this episode of uh, Serial, uh, we were talking a little bit before we began about how Sarah Koenig was uh, definitely trying to get everybody's attention by starting with the Trump quote, um, because today we can't have anything without Trump. It began as all things must with <laughs> an explanation of how Donald Trump handled something. I'll be honest, I didn't actually know that Trump was using this in part of in, in his speeches. Um, I can't really listen to him that closely. <laughs> um, it makes perfect sense that, that he is, but I didn't realize that that was uh, still really being talked about in yeah. politics right now. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard him say it a few times. Uh, it's, you know, it's one of the beats that gets a cheer from the crowd, so he tends to go back to that well fairly often. Does he alternate between that and building a wall? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, there's a, there's a barrage of, you know, <laughs> red meat that gets thrown to the crowds at these things that he that he says. But yeah, it is sort of interesting that this happens to be one of the things he's chosen. And some, it's, it surely it can't be because season, Serial Season 2 is such a hot commodity. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it's just good, you know, it's a good, it's a it's a quick and easy way for him to sort of get in a military beat, which he doesn't talk about that much otherwise, other than like the VA hospital and stuff. So. Sure. Yeah, it seems like he knows his fan base enough to know that this is an easy target, and um, and maybe that's true for anyone who takes the opportunity to quote politicize the Boberg doll story, right? So Sarah Koenig uh, said during this episode, she kind of suggested that maybe it wasn't inevitable that this became a politicized story. What do y'all think about that? I think it is impossible not to politicize events occurring around the military because the military activity in which we're involved worldwide is never this slam dunk that everyone agrees upon. And everyone is always going to use it to make their own point about what's working or what's broken. And um, it's really interesting that this serial is occurring within an election year and sort of accelerating all that talk. And obviously, like weaving Donald Trump into the start of it is a major indicator of that. Yeah, well, I mean, this it reminds me of something you said, Laura, which is sort of, I can't tell if Sarah Koenig is genuinely sort of startled by how politicized it became, or if she's playing up this sort of, you know, in this sort of Michael Moore-esque way where he's like, do you mean your country has universal health care? You know, and feigns <laughs> astonishment. Like, it seems like she's engaging in a little bit of Michael Moore-esque theatrics on this episode, because I can't believe that she genuinely 
Is that shocked by how politicized this became? I will say, although it's not at all a shock that this became political, I will say the machinations of how it or how or Koenig's estimation of how it became political were actually a little bit surprising um, that the White House if, you know, if these people are to be believed that the White House is so disconnected from the Pentagon and military life that they just wouldn't have thought of the optics of having the Bergdahl family in the ceremony in the Rose Garden. Yeah, it was interesting to hear about how, of course, the appraisal of how dangerous it was to release the Taliban Five contributed to this, but optics were such a huge part of what became the later disagreement and about how to handle his release. Um, Optics with that rose garden, the rose garden seems to be the centerpiece that she uses for the entire episode because it gives you this image of something that's being celebrated on one side and just absolutely skewered on the other. Right. Well, and it really just, uh, yeah, I think I was also surprised by that in the sense of how uh, quickly, you know, when she finally recounts the story of how quickly things progressed from, you know, what was initially very right, I think she said uh, Initially, it was just going to be a simple press statement from both the White House and the Pentagon at the exact same time, right, uh, doing the basics. And how within literally, I think it was two or three hours, right, it suddenly became a rose garden ceremony. Uh, And it is, yeah, it was kind of jaw-dropping to see that many decisions sort of get made in such a quick period of time without anybody stepping back and saying, what is this going to look like? Especially, uh, Marnie, you brought this up on last week's Serial Serial about the optics of um, everything that was going on in Qatar with uh, you can't have the word Emirates on the flag. Like optics had until this point been so important Mm -hmm. for everything. And so, yeah, you're right. How, How did that happen? Thanks, Obama. (laughs) I think the presence of Bo's parents in D.C. was almost the little um, instigator they needed to just really let their guard down and say, oh, my gosh, this is all colluding so perfectly. We just have to set this up. And it almost they got carried away in their own whirl of relief and excitement. Well, it's just startling that they don't have you know, sort of a military PR strategist that they would run things by for two minutes. I mean, this reminds me of like the fiasco in uh, 2004 when, uh, you know, who that the the nonprofit that would send emails to you 10 times a day to try and get you to vote for the Democrats. Uh, uh, move on. Move on. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> when they did that commercial showing, you know, showing that, like, you know, Iraq has become a quagmire and it was the soldiers with the guns over their heads walking through the muck, not realizing that that is a symbol of surrender. Mm. and pissing off every single military family <laughs> in America and making them vote Republican. Like, it was, it's just that level of stupidity where there's, you need just the one person. Like, all that's all you need. Right. And they, uh, Sarah's explanation of the White House, the West Wing being so insular, kind of points to the idea that maybe that unicorn person isn't available because anyone who's experienced enough with the ways of the West Wing just isn't out in the real world enough to know the optics and how they look to the average American, perhaps? And I I didn't have a chance to go back and rewatch clips of the Rose Garden ceremony. Um, but I'm surprised that Bo Bergdahl's dad would have just been allowed to speak off the cuff, not knowing what he was going to say. And then I think Sarah Koenig kind of skimmed over the fact that he said some phrases in Pashtu. Like, that must have been, I mean, you know, the entire 
administration press team must have just collectively shat its pants at that point. I mean, I picture like Glenn Beck taking his entire staff out to lunch, being like, you guys, like, let's just take the rest of the week off. This We're going to dine on this for a while. Yeah. And maybe it's a, a, a signifier of how little they estimated that they would be anything other than a set piece for this, you know, joyous moment. I mean, maybe they just thought that his parents would say something about how they're just so glad that he's safe. And maybe they just underestimated them as complex human beings who might take the mic and say something off the cuff. Yeah, but for, I mean, yeah, for, for a White House who normally seems to be at least somewhat hip to the youths of today, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> how to run media, uh, it was just such a spectacularly tone-deaf execution. Mm-hmm. Pivoting off that... Uh, we've talked a little bit about the Bergdahls um, in previous episodes, the the Bergdahls sort of uh, using politics to try to, to get Bo home. Um, but what do y'all think of his platoon mates starting to go public? Um, was, I think, Cody Full was, uh, mm-hmm. and Gerald Sutton were the two that kind of started it. And they started this He's Not a Hero Facebook group, which is itself a pretty incendiary uh, group uh, name. And, you know, they describe it as just screaming into the Internet. Uh, do you do you believe that uh, it was in good faith they started approaching the media? I, I mean, yeah, I, Marnie, I'm curious to hear what you think of this, too, because my initial response to it was just especially the fact that Cody in particular only went on the one news broadcast. Like he didn't make the rounds. He didn't do anything else. He just went and said his piece and left. To me, suggested it was, yeah, it was like a fairly well-intentioned effort. And why Fox News? I mean, because those were the ones who reached out, right? It was the Republican PR strategist who saw the Facebook group and was like, oh, well, clearly I know where to take this, <laughs> right? Yeah. I could never begin to know what it's like to be a soldier, much less one in Bo's platoon, um, who has undergone this frustration. But it seems inevitable that if you are frustrated with the way this is going and you feel like you aren't listened to, of course, if someone hands you a microphone and says, we will get you on X TV show, you're going to want to plead your case to the American people. And Twitter was a good way to do that. And even Fox News is a good way to do that if you just want to say your piece before people stop paying attention to the cycle of the news to this particular story. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can I I, I blame that a lot less than I do sort of the White House is administered like the administration's bungling of their side of things because either it's just too so like they you know I'm sure gave if you know in any way or maybe a little bit of thought but probably not much to what would come from sort of Fox News picking up the story you know they may have hoped that it would gain some traction I'm sure they did on some level um, but you know when 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 Sarah Koenig starts explaining well and this is how Fox sort of took it and run with it and this is how the senators and the sort of collusion on the part of the on the right in this country uh, sort of you know go into strategizing mode uh, it, you know it, it just seemed like the cl- a classic example of somebody wanting to say something and then sit back down and then it you know it spirals into a tornado of insanity mm-hmm. aka 2016. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well. <laughs> now, did y'all follow this story uh, when it was sort of at its height? Honestly, not closely. Uh, we wrote some articles on our on Onion Side about it, um, but it seemed to me, even at the time, I do not understand the particulars of the military. And so, when I saw that there was a big disagreement over who Bo was to to commit this act, whether he was a deserter versus any other explanation of his behavior. I remember just stepping back and 
not entirely paying attention, thinking we'll get a clearer story soon. And of course, there's still the same questions swirling around two years later. Yeah, I mean, I remember very clearly sort of noting the story and then setting this aside because the way in which it was sort of taken up in the broader political landscape, as I think they do a decent enough job of explaining in this episode, you know, really became just another proxy war between the administration and Republicans was really how I read it. Uh, And since obviously this isn't to downplay the significance of the story since we're spending an entire season talking about it, but just in the in the larger cultural landscape it really did feel like a tiny flare up on the on the boil of the you know american uh, political landscape well, it's kind of in line too with uh, last week's discussion of how bo became kind of this line item that mm-hmm. he's just as you said the football yeah he's just item 17 on the right laundry list of you know cudgels that they use to beat the administration over the head I also, I didn't follow the story super closely. I was, you know, obviously aware of it, but um, I didn't realize that after the Rose Garden announcement that the next day Susan Rice told George Stephanopoulos that Bo had already paid, quote, I think an extraordinary price and that he had served with honor and distinction. Mm-hmm. And uh, that also seemed like a pretty big misstep on the administration's part that, you know, people have said in retrospect that she's not that great on TV. She's not the best uh, person. But like, where was the media training? Uh, that seems like sort of pouring salt in that wound. And yet it seems like an understandable mistake to make. If you aren't good in front of a camera, you start saying the complimentary things about soldiers you know to say. Right. And honor and distinction is something we love to say about our military. And so if she says it this one time, it just happens to have these particularly massive consequences. Right. Yeah, it's a boiler of plate response, I yeah. think, right? When somebody says, what do you think about the military? And then puts a camera in your face. <laughs> you're gonna, what are you going to say? Oh, they're war criminals. Like, no, you're going <laughs> to... You're going to say polite things. Right. But I didn't really realize, again, coming back to optics, just how inflammatory that was. And maybe that speaks to all three of us and the way that we reacted to the story in the moment is that The military, in many undeniable ways, is this separate force that has its own culture and its own mores, its own norms. And so when they hear the phrase honor and distinction, it means something entirely different from when the rest of the nation hears that on TV. And so a lot of this episode was dissecting the ways in which military people can just view something with a 180 degree difference from how we do and absorb it differently and react differently. And not only that, just the fact that, you know, I'm not entirely convinced. The way that uh, Sarah Koenig sets up the story here, where it's as though these two, you know, his two former platoon mates going on Fox News, like, started these dominoes tumbling. I, just, I don't buy it. I think it's a little too simplistic. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a little too reductive to the idea that, you know, it's, but when you take into account that, you know, the congressional investigations and the fact that no one told Congress this trade deal was going down and all of these kind of things, this was going to be something that they were going to fire back about no matter what. Sure. Sure. Yeah, like, sure, the fact that they went on was, you know, gave them more fuel to the fire. But I, I, I really I really disagreed with the idea that if only those, you know, those platoon mates hadn't gone or started this Facebook group, somehow this wouldn't have become an issue. I mean, that seems disingenuous to me. Sure. Maybe it was sort of fanning the flames, though. 
speeding up the flames. <laughs> yeah, but it is interesting. Like, and if you're going to take, you know, as we have, as, as you've done, you know, at various points during this podcast where you sort of say, okay, if we're going to take, for example, Bo at face value on some statements or whatever, you know, or if we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt from that perspective, similarly, if we're going to give these two guys the benefit of doubt from this perspective, right, then it looks very simple. It looks like they're doing exactly what Bo did, which was seeing, looking for some sort of acknowledgement from a higher ups. I mean, it is kind of striking the analogy, the analogous nature of what they did vis-a-vis what Bo did, which was, you know, uh, just looking for some sign. He's, you know, I think Cody said, all we wanted was some recognition of, you know, there were some irregularities about this case or that, you know, there will be a full investigation, justice will be served. And the fact that instead it looked like they were making him an American hero was what pissed them off. And that, I mean, it did. I don't know if I'm curious if it reminded either of you two of sort of an. an it definitely did. I, I thought it was a little bit ironic that they chose the public route for airing their grievances. Um, but then again, I don't really know, uh, you know, were they still in the mil- military? Like what, what's sort of the uh, protocol for complaining in that, you know, but I, I do kind of wonder, too, if they got like their wrists slapped by the military at all for doing that. But then, on the other hand, like, they didn't fucking walk off base in the middle of <laughs> Afghanistan. Right. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, maybe talking to Fox News wasn't the best way or the proper way, but, like, they're not endangering anybody's lives by doing that. Yeah. And, it, and, and you know, to what we think of as the best way, I mean, to them, maybe, maybe that turned out to be the best way in their minds because you know, they got what they wanted in a certain sense. And well, and well, um, his platoon mates might have a different idea of how he should be treated now that he is free and back in the U.S. At no point do their frustrations with the situation as a whole feel unwarranted. That's one thing that Sarah's been very careful to construct is an understanding of how these guys must be feeling. I think that's fair. We had wanted to talk a little bit about um, what I thought, and I don't think I'm alone here, was the most interesting uh, part of this episode, uh, Trump notwithstanding, um, was the reintegration, uh, where he was in Germany for, was it five weeks, I Uh, think? Something about that, Enough time for people to get suspicious about it. (laughs) Right. Um, And I hope that she goes into this a little bit more in future episodes. I don't know if she will, but she said that they had two whole wings of a hospital. Yeah. Which is mind blowing. Yeah, that's like Beyonce giving birth level, like, <laughs> you know, sectioning off the hospital. Uh, and one of the wings was dedicated just to the administrative side, and the other side was. I, I don't know the medical like how many medical teams do you need? Um, and they said you know people were just showing up on their own dime. Like he just everybody wanted to study him, mm-hmm. um, and I thought that was fascinating. Um, and Koenig didn't really go into that much detail. I don't know if I, I am curious about why she made that decision too. You know she talks a little bit and Bo talks a little bit about how like I couldn't sleep in a bed because it was too soft and I couldn't talk and I, I kind of want to know the mechanics of all of that. Yeah and it's made even more fascinating by the fact that Bo himself describes it so Incidentally, because for him, that's just the experience that he has lived. And so he casually discusses sleeping in the bathroom because it had a door. And then you start thinking, how valuable is a door after years and years of not dictating Mm -hmm. when you get to close a door? And that could just be a series in itself is his weeks of reintegration. And 
the pressures faced by the reintegration team to make sure he hurry up and hurries up and gets better so that they can take him back and deal with him stateside. That's such a fascinating series of competing impulses. I also thought she glossed over a little too much um, exactly how they told him, oh, by the way, you're kind of a big deal and this is kind of a big shitstorm. I really want to know. And maybe they just, you know, since she's not talking to Bo directly, maybe she just doesn't have, you know, those uh, you know questions or emotions from him on record. But I was really curious, how, how do you tell somebody you've been in the dark room with diarrhea for five years. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way. Yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah, political no, football. I agree with you. I think that's very interesting. And I think to me that immediately, I mean, Sarah Koenig, you would, she's not stupid. Like, I think she knows that this is a compelling thing. So my immediate assumption was that there's something about the ongoing court martial that triggers like things that once you run right up to directly connected with it and perhaps still active military medical personnel. Uh, You can't either have as many direct quotes about it or things that have been decided to be directly relevant to the case maybe are not allowed to be. That's that was my first guess is that some things here we're not allowed to hear, but she should have acknowledged that if that's the case. Right. Um, And I wonder if she said that everything had been planned for his, uh, you know, release into the hospital and I, I kind of wonder about those plans. Like, is there just like always this team on board waiting for POWs, even though that hasn't happened since Vietnam? And, yeah. you know, to the extent, I guess, that that it did with Bo. Yeah. And is a reintegration team member a full time position or are you just a team of excellent, adaptable psychologists <laughs> and neurologists and whatever else you'd need to be for this role? I mean, Mike. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. I would. I would be curious to know. I. I was sort of assuming that what they just did was pull aside all these people who are normally on staff. It's just that normally they're servicing this sort of regular day-to-day, ongoing, bringing people back, doing an interview with them, saying, you know, are you okay? Yeah, you got PTSD. Great. And everybody else does too. Like, see ya, <laughs> yeah. go home. You know. Right. Like maybe that was those were who were getting pulled into this. Hmm. I do kind of like the idea that there's this team of people who's like waiting for decades for you know <laughs> that rare flower to bloom in the middle of the night. Yeah, they're like, yes, it they finally like, happened. They get the piece of mail and they open, they go running up to the top of this tower and there's the, there's the man sitting in the tea. He's just been sleeping there 40 years. Wake up. <laughs> it's happened. But they, they had it all so planned with like, you know, ask him everything. Ask if they're going to move something. Ask if, you know, give him all these options. That, that actually surprised me. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that you would give somebody so many options right away. But also tightly control which options are given and which questions are asked. Right. Oh, and I had one more question for you guys. As someone who is so well-versed in the military, grew up in a military family, Bo knows to some extent the gravity of what he's done. So do you think he was surprised to hear about his celebrity and about the shitstorm that was caused as a result of his capture and inevitable return. I think that if he hadn't just been through such a traumatizing situation, he wouldn't be surprised. But when he's saying things like he can't even form words, Mm -hmm. like I just wonder, like, is that even what you're thinking about when you're in captivity? Like you're focused on like how you're sick all the time. And I don't know. I, I, I feel like maybe like that's something that he Maybe it would have clicked into place right. more readily for him. But 
I just I can't imagine that like if you really if you can't physically talk then and not only that we've spent so much time sort of talking about on you know they or they've spent so much time uh, talking about how you know sort of surprising and impressive it is that he has come through this relatively mentally unscathed and all this stuff but I think that sometimes gives short shrift to the fact that he's not completely mentally unscathed by this and the fact is it makes total sense on some level that he would maybe have no clue of this after five years of being in captivity you know his he had gone into this with this plan that he would as soon as he was picked up a day or two later or whatever it would be he could get on tv or he could get you know wherever he needed to get to make his case and instead now he's coming out this sort of shell of a guy five years later that sure we're all impressed at how he managed to keep his mental stability but that doesn't mean there aren't these fissures i was i remember uh when this all happened being shocked when i heard that like oh yeah bo bergdahl is on desk duty in like san antonio or wherever i was like are you what (laughs) yeah i mean it was like a couple months if that it was really really fast and that's why i'd love to zoom back in on these moments of um his escape or his captivity or his reintegration because these are just things that we cannot wrap our heads around we will never know what that's like and so any of his incidental narration of what it's like could be helpful i do think that after this episode kind of turned a corner for me in terms of piquing my interest again and I think I might go back and listen to some of the other episodes I think they'll be more interesting in retrospect Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think it's nice once it sort of pulls it out of the intimate story that's been told a lot a lot before and into this larger political arena to me that was exciting because incidentally you know on a similar note to that I actually wanted to ask you guys one of the interesting things for me and what as you said sort of piqued your interest again at least for me was the discussion of how uh, Congress and the administration tr- used the case politically. Mm-hmm. And the whole issue of, I wanted to ask you guys, no one told the whole, no one told Congress this trade was going down, right? The idea that they're supposed to notify 30 days in advance, but in this case there were very specific reasons, which was they were worried that Congress was going to cor- torpedo the deal again if that's what happened. I'm curious if you guys think that was another case of sort of administrative mishandling, or if you think that was just them saying, you know what, we'll take the heat. We got to do what we got to do. I think that was actually smart of the administration. I mean, fuck Congress. Um, <laughs> but, but, I mean, I think at that point, we've kind of already established that we think, you know, Bo was a line item on this thing. Like, it, I don't know that whether it was about him personally at that point. They just, like, needed to get shit done. And that's how you get shit done. Yeah, and also and, fuck Congress. <laughs> <laughs> and it, that same level of savvy calculation appears to have happened in relation to the Taliban Five at Guantanamo. Right. Um, because one speaker guessed that the reason they were not put through that evaluation to determine whether they were, quote, safe to release is because they might not have succeeded in deeming them safe for release. Right. And so this is a very clear example of the system just dodging what it can dodge and getting away with what it can get away with. And frankly, that just felt so much like things in any office, right? Interdepartmental <laughs> right. squabbles going behind each other if it makes your job easier. 
just on a national and far and more consequential that, level. You know, these guys were considered the quote unquote forever prisoners. And, you know, if Obama's trying to close Gitmo and like, what are you going to do with them? Nobody in the U.S. wants Gitmo prisoners in their state. Like it just it felt like kind of smart long term thinking. Yeah, well, I'm not so sure it was smart long-term thinking. I think it might be smart short-term. Th- I mean, smart short-term thinking, I actually was... So I think we maybe disagree a little bit there because, to me, this harkens back to the previous episode where she, you know, she discussed all the sort of machinations internationally behind the scenes, mm-hmm. right, to make these agreements, to start the talks between the different groups and all that went into that. Uh, because this seemed clearly like... I mean, it's nice that, you know, part of me wants to think that there was part of the administration that wants to that wanted to do some sort of noble Captain America-esque, like, no, we take care of our own, we're going to bring this guy home, and we'll take the heat. But I don't think that for a second that was the, the reason they did this. I think they did this because they thought this was going to provide short-term games in terms of negotiations with the Taliban. Absolutely. Aggressively practical thinking. Yeah. Even though, you know, that, and in a way that was they were willing to trade off for heat with Congress, they thought, well, it's still worth more to us in this area of foreign policy. Uh, I was also intrigued by the implications of, uh, you know, when they were talking to, to Chuck Hagel, you know, well, why is Bo over there so long? Why is he still in Germany? Why is he still in the hospital? Well, what are you implying? Well, what are you implying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that felt like kind of political infighting, but also what what are they implying? Like, specifically, what are they implying? And I wonder how much of a limb Sarah Koenig went out on to suggest what she thinks they were implying. She did kind of a lot of that this episode, where she fills in the blanks, and she says, what I assume they're talking about is, um, and during that uh, recorded squabble, she said that she presumed it was an implication that Bo was being hidden away as someone who really did try to join the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. nobody really believes right now from this perspective, I don't think. From this perspective, yeah. I think at this point in the game, we don't. But at that point, I think it was still a very fair question to say sure. it's been five weeks. You know, I, I actually found myself on the side of the Republican senator in that particular case. Yeah, because I was, you know, that's the kind of thing where I would say, it's been five weeks. What is the reason? And because it was Hegel who jumped to, I don't like what you're implying. But I actually think the structure of the question was cannily done because it was honestly him also saying, why isn't he back yet? Like, that doesn't make sense, which I thought was a fair, I I thought it was a fair point, actually. Hmm. Yeah, I I think... I don't know the precedent of other soldiers, although Jessica Lynch was mentioned. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that if he is being held way longer than other soldiers have been for similar types of, you know, atrocious conditions that they've been rescued from, then it's, it's a question worth asking. Yeah, absolutely. So next week on Serial, we've been promised uh, more information about uh, the report that Chuck Hagel the mystery report that Chuck Hagel claimed um, <laughs> used to claim that nobody had died looking for Bo um, and Serial's own investigation into that. Uh, so thanks for listening today to the Serial Serial. If you like our show, tell your friends and review the show on iTunes. And we'll be back in two weeks to talk about um, whether or not soldiers did die. Um, thank you, Marnie and Alex, uh, for joining the discussion no, today. No, thank you, Laura. <laughs> yes, agreed. <laughs>